Tonight, I'm going to take a break because I feel like um, once in a while, we just need to kind of veer off. And instead of, we've been going through Matthew for a long time, I like to pause and kind of maybe talk about something else, either a different scripture or a different topic. And tonight, um, and I'll tell you why later on, I felt like we should talk about uh, this specific issue. And, uh, and it's an issue that's really close to my heart because it's something that um, could have been the thing that kept me from maybe not becoming a Christian, although it, it definitely could have been, definitely would have kept me from going into ministry. And so if you've been around here, you know my background. And in fact, maybe um, you were there during kind of some of, the, uh, some of the, the, the ups and downs of my life. One of the times that I was most challenged in my faith was about, oh man, it's been a long time now, uh, almost 10 years ago. When I first got out of college, um, I was planning on going into ministry, and as some of you know, instead of going into full-time ministry, although I was still doing that, um, I fell into, I guess, some, some business opportunities, and I decided to go into business. And so as I was going into business, I, I found that I was passionate about it, I was uh, halfway decent at it, and um, it was kind of a, a series of events that happened, and I started to, right away, this company that we had uh, started, started to do really well. And I started to make money, and I actually started to make more money than I ever thought I was going to make. It was kind of a crazy time in my life, and so for five years, um, this, this company continued to build, became a multi-million dollar company. I was making more money than, um, you know, most any 20-somethings that I knew, and I went from uh, someone who knew that they wanted to be in ministry to someone who eventually became, and I didn't realize this until I looked back on it, someone who is very much consumed with money. I wanted to make money. Money was everything to me, and I didn't realize it at the time. I still would have said, um, I'm all about Jesus. I'm all about being a Christian, and yet where my real security, my real comfort, my hope, my meaning, my purpose was actually founded in money, and everyone around me could see it. In fact, they try to give me insight like, hey, um, I think you're getting a little bit sidetracked here. And I just thought, no, 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 no. I just found something that I'm passionate about, something that I'm, I'm pretty good at. And so I'm going to go and make more money. And eventually I became so consumed. I had these goals like I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 30. And, and I was well on my way. And eventually I came to kind of a crisis in my life in which I realized I have made money the number one priority in my life. Jesus has taken a backseat to uh, making money. And I realized that this isn't just unique to me. In fact, Jesus talks about money all the time. The scriptures talk about money on a pretty, pretty consistently, and it has some consistent themes. And so whether you are making money, or you hope to make money one day, or you just, everybody needs money to live, we all should have a biblical perspective on finances. And so I want to specifically talk about what the scripture um, has to say about our money and what we should do with our money, because it's important. Whether we have only a couple dollars, we're living at home, and we're just surviving, hoping to be able to eat in and out after this, or um, whether we've got our full-time career and we're starting to do well, we need to know what we're supposed to do with whatever money that we may have. And so here's kind of the summary, and then I'm going I'm to dive into it a little bit, is the scripture calls us to be, when it comes to our giving, sacrificial and joyful when we give our money. So giving is, is an assumption that the scripture makes is we're going to give our money away as believers, but the way that we do it is in a sacrificial and joyful manner. And so let me just pause real quick before we jump into it is if you're not a church person, you say, 
I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I knew there would be one of two things they would talk about tonight, money or sex, and both are a no if I want it, okay? And so uh, that's not true. You just happened to be here when we talked about money. And, and so let me just put you at ease right away. I don't want your money. Seacoast does not want your money. We're not interested in your money. Um, we want you to just hear kind of the way that we look at money because it may challenge you in the fact that this is how you assume most people see money. And then, in fact, this is how Christians uh, see money. And hopefully um, it gives you some perspective. And then for those of you who are Christians, I'm not going to hard sell you on giving your money. In fact, um, one of the great things about this church is there's lots of people who understand what it is to give and give joyfully and sacrificially. And so um, we don't need your money. You need to give your money. We don't need to take your money. And you're going to find out why that is in a moment here. Okay, so let's, uh, let's jump into this a little bit. First thing is, is being a sacrificial giver is the scripture calls us to give not out of what we have left over, not with what is extra at the end of the month or, or whatever, but it calls us to be sacrificial givers. And here's the great irony about all of us in this room. If I asked you um, if you are rich, you would say no. And if I asked you if you were generous, you would say yes. And, but here's the funny part. You are, not, you are not generous and you are wealthy. And yet most of us believe the exact, exact opposite. Uh, Forbes says that we, uh, as, or as Americans, if we are in the bottom 5%, 5% of Americans are still richer than 68% of the rest of the world. That's the bottom 5%. My guess is you're not even anywhere near the bottom 5%. And so that means that we are probably closer to the top 5 or 1% of the world. And so just by sitting in this room, all of us are economically wealthy. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. You, because you took a car here and you have some kind of cell phone and you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from, you are considered wealthy by the rest of the world's standards. And so all of us think that we're poor, but we're not. And all of us feel that we're generous, but we're actually not. So let me give you an example of this. Is This week I met with someone and um, it, was, it wasn't church related. And then he found out I was a pastor. And so we talked about that. And he had the most random question for me. This, this is the first time anyone's ever asked me this before. He asked, oh, you're a pastor. Okay, good. And his second question after was, um, what do I do for a living? When I said I'm a pastor, he says, now, do people give a lot of money or what? I thought, that is an odd question. Uh, no, not really. And he's like, oh, well, I go to church and I drop like 50 in the bucket every week. And I said, rad. (laughs) That's cool. And I quickly like did the math in my head because this guy was so impressed with himself that he drops a 50 in the bucket. Um, And I thought, okay, let me just, let me figure out the numbers really quick. And so in my mind, I thought this guy gets 50. Okay. That's a couple hundred bucks a month. So that's like, what, like, let's say 2,500 bucks a year. And he probably makes, you know, at least six figures. And so he's maybe giving away one to 2% of his wealth every year. And so he, if I, I didn't tell him that because he's a lot bigger than me, but um, <laughs> if I had pointed that out to him, he feels as if he's generous because he has a $50 bill and he puts it in there and he goes, ah, oh, that's awesome, right? But if you are going to define someone who is generous, would you say that giving one to 2% of their wealth away a year is a generous person? I don't think so. I think most of us, when we think of generous givers, it would be above and beyond uh, one or two percent of our income. And so a couple observations that I have. 
is if we are striving to be generous people, and by the way, you don't even have to be a Christian to desire to be a generous person. I think it's a virtue in which uh, believers, non-believers, we all are striving to is to be generous people. I think there's a couple things or observations that I've made. One is if we want to be generous, it has to be more than just a one-time thing. Anybody can give away one time because they feel guilty about it or they feel compelled or it seems like it's going to be a really good idea or even if it's beneficial for them. It seems to be, it has to be more than just a one-time thing. It has to be a lifestyle of generosity. The other thing is if we're going to be generous, um, it has to be a sacrifice. To throw a couple bucks in the plate when you have thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars doesn't seem very generous, even if you're doing it on a regular basis. When it's, what's generous is when you're giving and it hurts. Like you're giving because it interrupts your lifestyle. And so the scripture gives us some principles both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. One of the principles that it talks about is the principle of first fruits. And uh, we see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the principle is that God does not want your leftovers. He wants to be first on your list. And this is not just true of our finances. This is true of everything. He says, listen, I want to be the one who is first on your list as far as your schedule, what you do with your time, what you do with your talents, what you do with your bodies, what you do with your money. I want you to put me first. I want you to honor me with all the different arenas of your life. And so the principle of first fruits starts in the Old Testament. We see some scriptures like Deuteronomy 26.2, and it says this, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Or Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce. And so back then, a lot of them were farmers. And so they would have a harvest, and when they would bring in all of their crops, the 10%, the first 10% before it would go to anyone else would go back to God. And this is the principle of the first fruits. Now, many of us are not farmers. In fact, I don't think any of us are farmers, but the principle still is the same, is we are going to get some kind of income. So for them, their income was a harvest. This is how they produced wealth, and this is how they, um, this is how they became wealthy, is through their crops. Well, for us, we have bank accounts, we have checks that we get, maybe when we get paid cash, if we're in the service industry, whatever it is, we have some kind of income that's coming in. And the principle of first fruits is the first goes to God. Now, for them, they had a unique situation because in the Old Testament, um, these people lived under the law. And what the law is, there's like this biblical law, and as Israelites, they live under these certain laws that they had to follow. And so the law for them was that they had to give 10% of their first fruits. And by the way, this was just the first fruits. There was more than this. And eventually, um, because they had other tithes that they had to give God, it equaled about 23% of their income. That's a decent amount of money. 23% of their income would directly go uh, back to God. Now, the principle is not any longer 10%, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but the, the principle is that God wants to be the first thing that you go to. And here's why. is because God wants to be at the center of your life. So when it comes to whatever arena we're talking about, God always wants you to put him first, and that includes, of course, finances. Now we see this, and it continues on into the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to 
Jerusalem. And so Paul continues on and he says, this first fruit thing is still the same, is I want you to take aside a certain portion of your income and I want you to give it to God first, just to show that he is the ultimate priority in your life. Now, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is that as Christians, um, we don't live under the law anymore. So the law was all these rules and regulations that we see in the Old Testament that if you were going to live in Israel and God was going to be your ruler, you're going to have to follow these certain commands. And the good news is when Jesus came, he got rid of the law. So we now live under what's called grace instead of the law. But here's the problem, or I guess the bad news is although we don't have to live under the law any longer and now we live under, the, under grace, the standard goes from 10% or up to 23% now uh, to the standard is um, Jesus on the cross. So before the standard of giving was 10% and up to 23%, now the standard of giving is give like Jesus gave. And if you think about what Jesus gave, that's a lot higher than 10%. He didn't say like, hey, crucify my fingers, Okay. No, 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 no. Jesus gave not only um, till it hurt, he gave everything. And so the principle really is that everything that we have is a, is, a, is a stewardship and ultimately belongs to God. And so we're supposed to honor God with 100% of our finances. And we're supposed to give until it hurts. In fact, we're supposed to give so much that it kills our lifestyle. Think about it. We give where we can no longer afford to drive the car that we want to drive. We can't eat out in the places that we want to eat out. We can't have the entertainment that we want to have. In fact, we may not even be able to live in the neighborhoods that we want to live because we are giving so sacrificially. This is the standard that the New Testament calls us when uh, we're supposed to give our finances. And Jesus affirms this over and over when uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What he's asking is, look, I have done everything right. I'm a moral guy. Everybody looks at me and says, wow, if only I could be as good as that guy. I understand the scriptures. I read the Bible. I follow all the commands. I'm an upstanding citizen. Everybody looks at me, and I am the man in this community. Am I doing everything that I'm supposed to do in order to inherit eternal life? And, And you know what Jesus says in response to him? He says, it's great that you're doing all that kind of stuff, but I want you to go and give all your money away. Give it all away. And says he goes away sad because he has a lot of money. And then again, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, comes and he meets Jesus and he realizes who Jesus is and, and what he has to offer. And so he just, in his, his excitement, he says, you know what, Jesus, I'm just going to give away 50% of my wealth and then I'm going to pay back everybody that I had cheated. And, and Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 calm down. Like, let's be reasonable. Let's look at an Excel sheet here and make sure that you can afford that. No, 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 no. Jesus says, in fact, let me quote him. Jesus says this. He says, today salvation has come to this house. What is Jesus trying to tell us here? He wants us to give an eye-popping amount of our money away. In fact, and if you're not a Christian, I want you to listen to this. Um, Christians should be giving so much away, and we are, are so liberal with giving away our money that you look at us and you go, what's wrong with them? Like, aren't they preparing for a rainy day? Don't they understand that they're going to need some money? And we go, no, 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 because our hope is not in our finances. Our hope is in Jesus. And so we want other people to experience a relationship with Christ. And so we give our money away in eye-popping proportions because that is the central goal of our life. And people will start to look at you and go, you're crazy. 
you're crazy. Why would you give so much money away? And you go, because my hope is not in my finances. See, as Christians, we are to give our money away, not because we're trying to earn something. See, that's what all the other religions in the world say, is you're supposed to pay the gods so that you appease them, so that you please them, so that you can earn some kind of salvation. And the Christian actually does the very opposite. The reason why we give so much money away is because we have been given so much. And the response to being given so much is that we just simply want to give away as much as we can. We also want to give away because it's an investment in the most important thing of our life. See, people, uh, investing is a great thing, and, and I invest, and I think you should be wise with your investments as well, but I understand, and I hope that you do too, is that my number one investment is not in my own portfolio, but it's in God's, is I want to invest in kingdom things, eternal things. My money and your money eventually is going to be gone. Whether um, you lose it all or whether it's taken away at death, whatever, it it will be gone. The only thing that will last past the grave in my investment portfolio is when I invest in the kingdom of God. And see, that's why we give. That's why we give to the church. That's why we give to to local missions and and to to, uh, missions around the world is because we are investing in things that last beyond the grave. But here's the sad reality. One of the reasons why Christianity is dying in the West, here in America and in Europe, is because I think we've lost sight of what we're supposed to be investing in. Uh, The statistics show that Christians give, on average, 2% of their income, 2% of their income away. Now, if we were people who were really serious about bringing the kingdom to people, bringing the gospel into people's lives, we would invest heavily in that And yet 2% is really embarrassing. That kind of shows the state of where we are economic or in our our minds. And and what we do with our money is actually an indication of how badly we want to see the gospel spread. Well, we'll get back to that. Second thing is, is not just sacrificial, but we're supposed to be joyful. So, so far it seems like, oh man, he's like kicking me in the teeth, you know? Like, oh, I feel so, I'm gonna like for sure give $20 or something like that. You know, this is crazy. Okay, listen. The scripture also says not only are we supposed to give sacrificially, but we're supposed to give joyfully. It's not supposed to be a duty. Paul continues on in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9, he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's why we should be cheerful givers, is because we understand that everything that we have is a gift from God. Now, you may be thinking, uh, you know, I worked really hard and maybe I got into a good school because I, I, I had good grades or maybe because I've moved up the ladder and so I've, I've kind of started to make a little bit more money. Here's what you need to realize. And this is probably one of my biggest learnings this year or realizations is I and you have very little to do with our successes in life. Like, we play such a small and minute role in the successes of our life that it's kind of laughable. Here's what I mean. Is one of the major determining factors of being successful is when and where you are born. And you had control of neither of those things. You did not get to choose when you were born or where you were born. Because if you were born in like 13th uh, century peasant in England, you would be poor and have bad teeth, right? Or if you were even born today, but you were born in some remote village in Africa, you would also be poor. And that's true of the mass majority of humans who have ever lived. 
is the reason why they did not have the same thing that you do is simply because of where and when they were born. But see, we were born in this place and this time in the most wealthy and powerful nation in human history where we have freedom, where we have opportunity, where we have incredible medical and technological advances. We have been given the most incredible gift simply by when and where we were born. Oh, and by the way, all the gifts that you have and the ambitions and the, the, the talents, all those things, you didn't choose those either. You may have leveraged those things, you may have worked hard, but you didn't create those things within yourself. Those were a gift. And so when you think about whatever successes you have had or you will have in the future, it has very little to do with you. Really, our whole kind of life is um, God has given us an incredible uh, amount of opportunities and our job is to simply not screw them up. That's our job. Don't screw it up. Live the way that God wants you to live and don't screw it up. That's free for you tonight. Okay. <laughs> the other thing is that uh, not only have we been given an incredible gift of where, when we are born and the gifts that we are born with, but as Christians, we should have an even bigger understanding of, of the gifts that God has given us because he's given us the gift of salvation that God would allow us people who have rebelled against him, people who have said, we want to go our own way, we want to be in, in control of our own lives, he has given us a way back into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand, that first and foremost, that when we give, it should be out of a place of joyful and grateful giving because we understand the reason why we have it in the first place is it was a gift. So let me ask the second question. What does your money say about you? Like, what does your money say about um, your heart and the way that you live? In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about money. He says this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is important. Listen to this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is in the middle of talking about money, and then all of a sudden he's talking about money, and then he puts this correlation between money and your heart. And he says there is a direct correlation with what you do with your money and the way that you see money and the condition of your heart. He says whatever your heart most treasures will be the thing that you spend the most money on or will be the thing that you easily spend money on. And you understand, this is true. So let me give you an example. Is, um, I have a 1954 Ford F100 pickup that I have been working on for nine years, okay? And I could spend my entire life savings on this tonight if my wife would let me, okay? Because I love this thing. I just want to finish it. I want to drive it. It's going to be so cool. I just imagine dreaming how awesome I'm going to look when I drive this thing down the road. You will agree when you see me. And so... I could spend a ton of money on it. Why? Because I love this truck. This truck is awesome to me. Now, my wife came to me the other day and she said, hey, I saw that there's going to be Disney on ice coming soon. We should take the kids. In which I said, that's not going to happen. Like, no. And she told me, I'm like, well, how much are the tickets? She's like, I don't know. They're like 200 bucks. I'm like, $200? Are they paying me or am I paying them? That's crazy. Like, I, you would have to pay me $200 to go to this. Now, here's the point. She was all excited. She's ready to spend 200 bucks on Disney on Ice or whatever it is. Me, I'm going absolutely not. But it's not because it's $200. It's what I'm spending the money on. Because if it was $200 to spend on my truck, I'd be like, let's do it, obviously. <laughs> but if it's $200 to spend on Disney on Ice, I want nothing to do with it. Why? 
because we can easily spend money on things that we care about. It's a good indication of what we actually care about. So if you and I look at our bank account, see, everybody likes to give lip service to like, I love Jesus, and I'm so bought in, and I'm so into it. And then I go, okay, let me see your bank statement, and then I'll tell you if you're really into it or not. Oh, silence. That was cool. Oh, my gosh. Went from Disney on ice to like, oh, hello. Got up in your kitchen. Okay. This is why... Uh, you can go from like laughing about Disney on ice to like being so serious in a heartbeat is because for some reason, money is a really emotional thing for us. Isn't it weird how you just get like almost defensive? Like, no, I do love Jesus. I just freaking need a couple bucks in my bank account. Frick, dude. You know, like we get super emotional about money. Why? Why are we so emotional about money? If you think about it, money inherently should not be emotional. It is a uh, numbers on a bank statement, or it is uh, paper with dead presidents that have probably been in some places that you wouldn't want to know, right? That's what money is. It is not emotional. It's probably, in fact, one of the least emotional things in our life. And yet, for some reason, we get incredibly attached to and emotional about our money. Why? Because money represents something. Money represents what really... uh, it exposes what we truly love because it's easy to fool ourselves to say that we love God, to say that we love other people, to say that we want to see change in our community and in our world. It's easy to say those things. But when you actually have to put your money where your mouth is, that's when it becomes pretty difficult. That's when it exposes what you truly believe, what you truly love, what you truly worship. See, this is how you know if you are a Christian or not. And this isn't me, this isn't some test. In fact, the scripture is full of different tests because it says that the heart is desperately wicked, that we are evil, that we are so easily deceived and we deceive ourselves most often. And you know this. You can deceive yourself to believe a thousand different things. And so the scripture puts in these different tests and it says, listen, um, you're not gonna be able to see it in yourself because greed and envy and jealousy and the love of money, all those things will hide from you. You can't see it in yourself. There's gonna have to be something external that's gonna give you a test to see, do I truly love God or do I really worship money? And so the scripture gives us some different tests. It says, you know, when you look at your life, you can see if you actually love God or you just love the idea of God that if you actually worship God or you worship something else. And one of those tests is to see what you do with your money. And I gotta be honest, the, the reason why I, I talked about money tonight is um, not because I'm like super spiritual and I was praying about it and I'm like, oh, the Lord's convicted me to pray you know, and talk about this tonight. Here's kind of a little background of what my week looked like. Is uh, as a part of some of my duties here and responsibilities as a pastor, Um, I am um, in charge of keeping the church on budget, or at least me and a team of keeping the church on budget. And so this week, we went through and we started to look at where are we out of budget and where are we out and what's everything looking like. And and I started to go through our income statements. And Seacoast is great and we have some really generous people, but here's what I realized, is that there is really only um, about 5% of the entire church that gives consistently. And at first, I was pissed. I was like, screw you guys. You know, you freaking leeches, you consume. And that's probably what I wanted to say. I wouldn't say that. I wanted to say that. Um, and, then, and then as I began to think about it, and luckily, like, I had some time to pray, and like, okay, Lord, work on my heart. 
and theirs, but work on my heart too. (laughs) And as I began to pray and as I began to think about it, I realized something. And this is something that has been true of me and I continue to battle against and it might be true of you as well. Is instead of me being angry, I kind of got sad for us as a church. I got sad for us for a few different reasons. One, because of the impact that we could be making that we're not. Because we are only getting a fraction of the income in which I don't, I'm not going to make any more money and church isn't going to take any more. It's just stuff that we could give away freely to the community and to the world. And I thought the impact that we could have and yet we don't get to do that. And so I was sad for that, but I was also sad for, for us as individuals is because what it says to us is we have become a church of a bunch of addicts. We are addicted to our money. The reason why we don't give is not because we don't have enough money. All of us have enough money. The reason why we don't give is because we have become addicted to our finances. And you may be thinking in your mind, I don't have a problem, I'm not addicted. That's the first sign of addiction. I could stop when I want to. Really? Let's try it. Give it a shot. I dare you. Because here's, here's, the, here's the cold, hard truth, is most of us have become addicted to our money, which is a really dangerous thing. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. See, we don't realize that we are lovers of money, one, because it's incredibly hard to see in ourselves, and the other is because it has become what's called a fashionable sin of the day. See, fashionable sins of the day are things that God truly hates and that he has spoken against, and yet, because everyone around us is doing it, we don't think it's a big deal. And we live in the biggest and most consumeristic society in probably all of human history. And so when we look at ourselves and we compare it to everybody around us, we go, so I don't have a problem because look at everybody else. And yet that is exactly what the scripture is saying. See, our addiction to money is as serious as any kind of other addiction. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, you name it. Those are things that, uh, that consume us and eventually will ruin us. It can ruin us relationally, emotionally, but definitely spiritually. And the reason why is because... When we make something the ultimate priority in our life, that means it's an idol. An idol is I care more for this thing than I do any other thing in my life. It is the thing that gives me security. It's the thing that gives me satisfaction. It's the thing that gives me safety. And we have bought into this idea that money is going to be that thing. But that's a counterfeit God. That can't actually bring you what you're desiring. That is something that will eventually destroy you and destroy everything in your life. And so the scripture says, although there's going to be lots of things that are going to try to creep in and become idols, that's going to try to take the place of God and what only he can do, we have to continue to fight against it. And so just like fighting against any other idol in our life, the way that we fight against a a greed or the love of money is we have to give sacrificially. Again, I don't, want your, I don't care about your money. I don't care about any of this stuff. You're, you're not going to make or break the budget around here. What I care about is what's happening to your hearts. Because I, for one, know what can happen. And it can happen and you don't even realize it. And so we have to be, we have to be focused and we have to be serious about putting to death these idols in our life. And so let me just end with just a couple things about how we can become sacrificial and joyful givers. First is that we are, uh, we are supposed to give first. That's a biblical principle, first fruits. 
Don't give God your leftovers. God does not want your leftovers. He wants to be the first priority. Normal order, the way that we spend, or the way that we use our money, is spend, repay debt, save, and give. Most of us don't give to get to the last two. We're usually like, spend, I'm hungry, repay debt, school, and then, okay, I got nothing really left over after that. Good luck to me. But that is the opposite of what the scripture says. Because we will have, if we decide to give um, what is left over, we will never give because we will always consume whatever we take in. It doesn't matter, and I've seen this, it doesn't matter if you make $300,000 a year or $30,000 a year, you will spend whatever you take in unless you make giving your first priority. What it should look like is give, then save, then repay debt, then spend. Because if you do the first two, you're not gonna have to worry about the, the debt any longer. And then the other is give consistently. And so the way that we can do this is um, all of us can feel generous when we do like a one-time gift, but the scripture says, no, 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 first fruits. That means whenever money comes in, you're going to give first. And so uh, that's all about giving and giving a percentage away. And so here's what I do is, and this makes it easy. We live in modern times. It's really, really convenient. Is I just set up to every month, God, I'm giving to you first. Before the government gets my money, and trust me, they will take your money. Um, I'm not bitter. It's fine. Uh, I'm giving to you first. And so it just comes directly out. Automatic withdrawal. I love technology because it just helps me. I can set up systems in my life to make God first and foremost the priority. And then we have to decide first what the percentage or what we're going to give and then live off the rest. Instead of living and then giving what's left, give and then live what's, what's left over. If you want to be a generous person, um, you have to make it a top priority. It's, you're ne- I have yet to meet someone who accidentally became generous. I was walking like, like, whoa, I just, whoa, did you see how generous I am now? This is crazy. I stumbled. Now I'm generous. No, no one ever does that. They have to be ruthless and focused about it. And then what should we give? And this is the, probably one of the most important parts. We should give enough to change our lifestyle. So whatever that percentage is that will, will, will change your lifestyle to where it actually hurts your lifestyle, to where you can't drive that car or you can't live where you want to live or you can't eat out like you want to, that's the amount that you should give. Biblical pattern is 10%. That's, yeah, great. That's a good place to start, but maybe that's not enough. Maybe you need to give more. Maybe that's too much. Maybe whatever it is, you need to give a percentage and enough that it's going to sacrifice a lifestyle. And prayer for us is, is not that, yeah, we become, um, I'm not trying to leverage anything. And so it's always weird when you talk about money. My prayer really is, I want to see a group of people who, of course, are focused on Jesus, and we actually live it out in some really tangible ways. And I think one of those ways is through our giving. So let's pray. Lord God, thanks so much for this group. Thanks for these young adults. And uh, in this room, there are Ah, So many amazing people, Uh, people who love you, who are dedicated to you, and you're going to do some powerful things in and through them. You're going to use them in some powerful ways, and and one of the ways that you ask us is is through our money, and we live in a consumeristic society in which it's make as much and and take as much and spend as much as you can, and so we want to be countercultural. We want to be people who look at money and we say, great, it's a stewardship. It's a great tool for us to use, and yet it's not the priority of our life. You are. And so, Lord God, I just pray that for those of us who are a little bit afraid of of letting go of our finances, that you would take control of them, that we would see that there is freedom in giving. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.